The story of Abraham is told in the book of Genesis, chapters 12 through 50. The central theme of these chapters is God's covenant with Abraham and the people of Israel. In Abraham, the nation of Israel became the chosen people of God. Through faith in and obedience to God, Israel was to enjoy liberty, peace, and happiness in the promised land. But Abraham, as the father of his people, underwent many hardships in his life. His people experienced famine, his wife Sarah was kidnapped, and most memorably, Abraham and Sarah were unable to bear a child. Throughout our lives, we will navigate through many challenges in our marriages and families. Abraham serves as a model and beacon of hope that despite the adversities we experience in life, the mistakes and blunders that we make, and our misunderstanding of God's promises to us, our integrity and trust in God can still shine bright. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all. Did I turn this on? Yeah, okay. Uh, very good. Well, it's good to be here and uh, share this with you. So, wonder if you've ever had this experience that I've had. I bet you have. Somebody has. Um, ever been somewhere in a conversation, uh, in a gathering at work, or maybe here at church, and whatever the, the topic was, whatever was being talked about, um, you just didn't have a connection with it. It's like you really wanted to, you were there, you were in the conversation, but there's something you're missing, and if you could just get that something, uh, you feel like you'd be engaged in what's going on. Probably been there, right? Uh, how about when you read the Bible? So you read through, through God's Word, and oftentimes uh, there's all these uh, seemingly obscure references, uh, may, maybe especially in the Old Testament. We uh, think about blood and cutting and exchanging and weapons and things like that. Um, we think, what am I missing here, you know? Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe the thing that's missing is the context of what's being talked about. And when it comes to the Bible, that context is something that is called covenant, which is our current series started last week, uh, continuing on uh, up until Christmas. Christmas covenant is the key to understanding what the Bible's about. And here's a kind of a real-life example. If you could imagine, fast forward um, maybe several thousand years and there's a group, there's a team doing some sort of an archaeological dig, maybe up in Ames, maybe over in Iowa City, and they uncover these artifacts, these, these, uh, these writings, and they keep seeing these different words come up in these writings, and the words that they see are, or phrases are, the, it's a word quarterback, it's the phrase big tent, or uh, red zone, uh, down marker, the upper deck, and they're trying to kind of piece this together, but they just don't have a context for what in the world are we talking about from back in, you know, the 2000s. Well, if they had the context, they'd get that we're talking about college football, right? And so when we read the Bible and you don't understand covenant, that's the big picture context. And it's pretty easy to gloss over a lot of things or, or just not get it. But again, not because there's anything wrong with you or you're deficient in any way. It's just that Maybe you, had, you lack the, uh, the covenant. So what was famous or uh, well-known to the ancient Middle Easterners to whom the Bible was written, what was very familiar to them, covenant, is foreign to us. And so that's why we're spending some time talking about that this morning. And so if you want to know more about covenant, 
Here's a few resources you can look at. Uh, I shared this a couple years ago in a message that I shared on covenants. Um, those are just a few good books. There's a lot more. The Bible Project has outstanding videos if you're not a reader. But uh, if you want to go deep, 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 deep into covenants, read Malcolm Smith. That's a book that I've had. I told my wife the other day, I've had that book seven years. I've been reading it. And she, she thought I meant like I've reread it. I, no, I mean like I'm not through with it yet. Because it's one of those that I have to just put down and think about for like five months and then come back to it again. So, uh, but there's some good resources. There's lots of other things out there. Okay. Well, you've heard this phrase, I'm sure. Uh, the phrase is the call of the wild. So-and-so heard the call of the wild or something like that. And, and that, of course, we know refers to something that just resonates deep inside of us, just to the core of our being. Maybe it's a concept. Maybe it's a, a piece of music. Maybe it, whatever it might be, a scripture verse, something that the Lord has accomplished uh, in your life. But uh, the call of the wild, it's something that is just almost becomes an ache. You've got to respond to it. As a matter of fact, you can't not respond to it. If you don't respond to this call, you'll be miserable the rest of your life until you do so. When we come to Abram, who we're going to look at today, even though he was an idol worshiper, there's a call of the wild that Abram is going to respond to as well, that he has to respond to. He's compelled to respond to it. And so we're going to look at him today and uh, see what God's Word has to say about that. Because there's a lot of this covenant, this ancient 4,000 plus year old covenant with Abram that is relevant for our life today in Christ. And so this is a message that uh, has uh, three installments, or uh, I should say this is a covenant that has three installments. And so I'm going to kind of step quickly through those and provide some application. Because again, this is a 4,000 plus year old covenant, but it applies with us today. First of all is this, God uh, promises Abram a great future and a great heritage out in front of him. I promise you a great future, a great heritage. Here's what he says to Abram, do not be afraid, Abram, I'm your shield and your very great reward. I love that God tells him that, I'm your shield and your very great reward because a covenant, an ancient covenant ceremony involved the exchange of certain items. Okay, here's a list of, of items that they exchange and exactly how they step through a blood covenant ceremony. And what God is saying in this when he says, I am your shield and your great reward is I don't have a cloak or a weapon or a tunic to exchange with you, Abram. So you don't get my possessions, you get me. When God makes covenant with Abram, he doesn't promise him any possessions or anything. He promises himself. When you and I say yes to Jesus, when we surrender to him, what we get is him. And we're going to talk more about that, Christ in us. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes, exactly what that means and how that's walked out here in real life. See if these phrases sound familiar, if any of these phrases sound familiar to you. Um, I give myself to you entirely. We'll be eternal covenant partners. All that I am, all that I have, I give to you. I'll protect you in all things, even if it kills me. Sounds like a wedding ceremony, right? Till death do us part. Because a covenant is a wedding. That's why the Bible refers to you and I in Christ, refers to us as the bride of Christ. 
because a marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And God makes covenant with us. He doesn't create a contract with us. He doesn't create a contract with Abram. Uh, this is covenant language. These phrases are all covenant language. Well, one of the things that happens here with Abram, and I'm just going to mention it now, and we'll hit on it a couple more times, is Abram, who starts as Abram, gets a new name. And he gets something more than that. But we'll come back to that. Um, because there's, there's a, a couple pieces to that. So the first promise that, uh, or first installment of the promise that God gives to Abram is heritage and abundance and longevity. And he gives himself to Abram. The second installment is this. It starts with this, this scripture. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So we know the story because we've read it. Uh, this is not metaphorical. Uh, Israel does indeed get a piece of land uh, in the future. They, they get a piece of land to possess, known as the promised land. And while the land that God promises is real, piece of real estate, what he gives to us is something deeper. Again, we get him. It's ultimately, ultimately an eternal spiritual land of promise, land of rest. The land of promise is a place where you rest and everything's provided for. The Christian life is a place where you rest and everything is provided for from deep inside. We'll get to that again in just a minute, all right? And so it's an eternal life of provision and affirmation and peace. And you just let that wash over you. Just, let, just soak in that for just a second. That's what the Christian life is. Abram's response is this, but Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? And I love where the story goes from here because it's the Lord, first of all, but I love how the Lord, maybe that's why I should say it, I love how the Lord takes the story from here because anytime God calls for animals, you know it's on. It's getting serious now. Go to that next slide if you would. Yeah. Bring me a heifer, a goat. Bring me the animals. You know now that God means business. So Abram, the response to Abram's question is, God, how can I know? How can I be assured that uh, I will acquire these things? And because Abram lives in a covenant culture, he understands when God starts calling for animals, I, I can just picture Abram going, oh, okay, it's getting real. It's serious now. Because he's going to sacrifice Make a sacrifice to create this covenant with Abram. And he goes all the way back to the garden. God slaughters the first animal to provide covering for Adam and Eve. And he's going to continue that pattern now all the way through. So the next scripture says this. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. You know, I have been reading the Bible for uh, a number of years. And one of the things I've noticed that just humors me uh, but it's also their spiritual application is that when God wants to do something, when I'm reading the Bible and I see God wants to do something truly radical, totally change the paradigm, do some, just blow things up and go a total different direction, what he does with the peop some of the people involved, puts them to sleep. That's it. He causes a deep sleep to fall on Abram. As if to say, Abram, this is so important, this is so radical, this is so revolutionary, I cannot have this covenant I'm about to make. I can't have this stained by human hands. 
I can't have sin involved in this in any way at all. So I'm going to make you the blood covenant representative because that's how covenants work. There's a representative who works on behalf of everybody. I'm going to make you the blood covenant representative, but I can't have this stained in any way, tainted for you, for your ancestors who I just promised you. So I'm going to cause you to go to sleep. He does that with Adam when he creates woman. Adam, need you out of the way, bud. He does it with Peter when he gives him the vision of ministering to the Gentiles. A whole new paradigm. These people you thought were filthy and unclean, the gospel's for them too. But I know you'll never receive it, Peter, on your own. So I'm just going to cause a, put you into a trance here, it says in the book of Acts. And then give you this vision. You ever had a, a dream or a thought when you were just kind of zoned out or something? And you sense that, man, that's the Lord speaking to you. Sometimes he does that when you're just kind of out of it because he gets you out of the way. He has to get us out of the way sometimes. Okay, so I've noticed that when God wants to do something truly revolutionary, he gets us out of the way, okay? But God commits to this covenant on the part of himself and on the part of mankind to make sure it's not contaminated. So let's go to the next part here. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen... A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces, symbolizing, if you look at Revelation, symbolizing the Father and the Son, as ref referenced in Revelation. So while Abram rests, the Father and the Son pass between these pieces, and here's the important part, they agree to uphold both parts of the covenant, both God's part and Abram's part. So imagine if you went into your bank and you're signing your mortgage for your mortgage and the contract stipulates all the things that, um, uh, that the bank will do, all the parts that they'll uphold and all the penalties if they don't. Okay, cool. That's pretty standard. Now it outlines all the things that you're responsible for to make the payments, to make the payments on time, you know, whatever else. And you get to the bottom of that, and it says, here are the penalties if you don't, if you for, for, uh, default on this, if you're late on a payment, anything, and you get to the bottom of that, and it says, no penalty. The bank will cover it. You miss a payment, you miss five payments, you be, don't worry, don't sweat it, the bank will cover it. You're late on some payments, bank's got you, don't worry about it. Would you sign that deal? Absolutely, I would. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Sign that thing. And that's exactly what God is telling Abram. He is uh, signing. God is signing. He's co-signing. He's witnessing. He's the notary. He files the paperwork, and he receives the paperwork in some legal entity in heaven all on his own on Abram's behalf and, by extension, on your behalf and my behalf because we're in Christ. That's... That's a pretty good deal. That's a real good deal, as a matter of fact. Here's what Hebrews says. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and give you many descendants. God swore by himself. Looked around. Who can I swear by? Let's see. Abram? Nah. I'll just swear by myself, I'm the most, God's saying, I'm the most trustworthy person I know. I never fail. I never falter. I will uphold both parts of this covenant. 
So let me come back to this name change uh, for just a minute. Um, here's what God's name looks like several times in Scripture. Hit that next slide for us. Thank you. Elohim, Yahweh, Jehovah. Uh, there's a Hebrew word for uh, the spirit, for God. It's a ruach. It means spirit, breath, life, wind. But either way you say it, whichever word you choose, notice the predominant letter in there. Is it H? And so what this is telling us is God's word, it, God's name rather, is not simply a word. It's a sound. It's a sound of breath. It's a sound of life. You can't say his name without expressing breath, the breath that God gave us. As in this statement from Paul, in him, in Christ, we live, we move, we have our being. And what I like to tack on to the end of that by clarification is this. In him we live, we move, we have our being. Outside of life with him, we suck air for 70 or 80 years, maybe 90 years, and then we die. In him we have life. In him we have uh, breath. We have ruach. We have the spirit uh, of the Lord. And so... Um, God inserts his name and his breath and his essence into Abram. doesn't just change his name. He changes the essence of who he is. It's deeper than that. They become covenant friends. Here's the deal. Go to the next slide. Abram becomes Abraham. Go on through Genesis. Sarai becomes Sarah. So from that point forward, they can't say their names without telling you not only who they are, but whose they are. So I'm Abram, who belongs to Yahweh. I'm Sarah, who belongs to Yahweh, to Elohim, to Jehovah. And so when they tell people who they are, they're telling people their identity, what they're all about, who their covenant friend is. And again, one of the, the issues with covenant is that there's a covenant representative, and whatever that representative gets, the rest of the, the partners get. So what they're saying is, if you mess with me, you're messing with Jehovah. Just like the little trick the Gibeonites played, right, on the Israelites, and the Israelites had to go to war against these people they didn't even know because they made a blood oath, they made a covenant, they agreed to it, so they go to battle with them. Anything happens to Abram, He's got, he's got the forces of heaven, of Jehovah himself, behind him, fighting for him, uh, advocating for him on his behalf. And when he says his name to somebody, hey, my name's Abraham, we think he's just telling us what his uh, name tag says. No, he's telling us who his blood covenant partner is and who provides for him, who provides him breath and life and safety and peace and on and on and on. And so that's how that name change goes. There's another piece of that name change I'll come to in just a second. He says this, I will bless Sarah, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of many nations, and kings of people will come from her. In other words, Abram, you are going to be the father of the ancestors of the Messiah. Way down the road, way down the road. You're going to be, if you will, the womb from through, through whom the Messiah is delivered to the entire world, my promised one. He'll be your seed, and many will be saved through him. Well, when Jesus says, I think it's John 15 or so, when Jesus says, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches, 
Here's what a, a guy by the name of Malcolm Smith says about that. He says, he, Jesus is saying the vine-branch relationship is an accomplished fact. This is where we believers are now, today, if you're a believer in Jesus, this is where you sit today in your relationship with Him. It's important that we see this because there are many who see this most important or most intimate relationship as something the believer moves toward as a future, deeper life experience. Prayers are offered asking God to help us arrive at this state. Being here now is not for a few advanced believers, super Christians. It's not for, for those. But it's the way that we all understand our covenant relationship with Him from the first moment of our salvation. So let me add something onto that to, to explain. So there's a certain phrase used in, uh, specifically in the New Testament a couple hundred times. Paul uses it um, 140 plus times, I think, in the epistles. And you see it all over the, the New Testament. And the phrase is this, one of two things, in Christ or in Him. You've seen that right, written all over the New Testament, in Christ or in Him. If you go back to the Old Testament, in general, not every time, but in general, the phrase that you see is not that one. The phrase that you see is, the Spirit of the Lord came upon so the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, came upon somebody, okay? So without getting deep into pneumatology, into the study of the Spirit, here's the deal. Came upon is a reference that something is out there and it comes here. Something's external to me, but I take it in. But the phrase in Him or in Christ is the other way around. It starts here and it's expressed outward. As in this phrase, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It starts here and it goes outward. I always uh, think about how revolutionary that must have been for the disciples to hear that when Jesus says, hey guys, I'm leaving, I'm going to be leaving here soon, um, and I have to because when I do that, I'll send my spirit, and he tells them, and he will live in you. I can imagine the disciples saying, I'm sorry? We, we mean live in us. We, we don't get that. But God brings uh, his covenant to Abram, and that's where we begin to see this inside-out idea. That's the very first time you see the idea that God will be in you working his way out to the world. So what does all this have to do with us today? That's all kind of conceptual and, you know, what, what do we do with that? Well, first thing is this, is that Jehovah, Elohim, Yahweh, God, whatever word you want to use, places his identity and his self in Abram, but also in you and me, if you've said yes to Christ. And when he does that, now we hear a lot outside there about pronouns today, so those aren't the pronouns I'm going to reference here in a second. But when he does that, personal pronouns take on a different meaning. So because you're in Christ, now when you say I, me, we, us, them, referring to Christians, it's no longer me as an independent entity. I did this. I'm preaching today. No. It's God doing the preaching. I'm just in cooperation with him today. 
Right, Michael? He just told me that a few minutes ago. And when you do something, it's not you. It's you cooperating with Christ, accomplishing what he wants to do. So these pronouns all have a different meaning. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Takes two things. Takes Christ, he's the spirit. Takes a body, we're the flesh and blood body through which he works. And he displays that he's the uh, hope of glory. So here's the application for that. The application is not some hard, convicting thing you need to do, but the application is this. Sometimes you just have to get away and let it trickle in and work its way into it, kind of like that book I'm reading. Um, Just let it trickle in. And if that sounds like a soft application, let me give you some biblical context for that because it's a biblical application. God says whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is right, whatever is good repute, and so on and so forth. Think about these things. That's God's application. Take some time and think about the fact that I, me, we, us, them, these pronouns, is really Jesus in us. Because what is the implication? If, if Jesus isn't in us, then it's just a party. I do whatever I want. But because he's in me, now... Psalm 119 becomes real. I run in the path of your commands, for you set my heart free. Within the path of your commands, I'm free to to go within certain bounds because Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in us. So let that trickle down inside of you. Here's something else at street level. Now, before I tell you what I'm about to say, I want to preface it with this. Please don't hear Please don't hear a criticism or a judgment in this, because I, I don't mean that at all. It's an observation that I've been guilty of myself. In prayer, so remember, Christ is in us. He's here. He's now. He's alive, right? In prayer, here's, here's what we often say. We're getting in the car. We're taking a trip to wherever, okay? God, I pray that you'd be with us. Father, I'm asking you to um, be with us in our service today. Be with them. Go with them. Okay? Yeah. God, I want to be closer to you. I want to see you. I want to feel you. Or somebody compliments me, and I say, oh, it, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. And if you know me at all, you're saying to yourself, of course we know it was Jesus. There's no way it could be Bob. But see, here's the deal. Now, this is real subtle, but here's the deal. You have to tell yourself the truth. You ever just finally faced up to something in your life and looked in the mirror and said, I'm the person, I'm, I'm the problem here? You have to tell yourself the truth. Jesus is here right now, alive. When I, uh, I've told you this before, when I was unsaved, completely out there, and I went to this little church, and um, the pastor asked me afterwards, uh, so what, what do you think? You know, because I hadn't been in church forever. And I said, um, I don't understand. These people, these, and it was a church maybe this size. I said, these people, um, I'm listening to them talk to each other. And I'm, I'm hearing them pray. And I'm watching them worship. And I'm seeing how just all these interactions, they act and they speak 
like Jesus is alive and he's here right now. And he said, and the pastor did this, he didn't even say anything, he went, yeah, because he is. And he's here right now. Where two or more are gathered, I'm there. You don't even have to ask. Don't even have to ask. So it's not for me, for the Larsons, okay? For Bob and Diane, it's not God, please go with us. It's Lord, enjoy the ride. You are with us. There's a whole different implication. See, the implication of many of these things is that he's over there and I'm over here and there's some sort of vague um, you know, separation between us and I need to invite him here. Or there's, there's a bit of a distance and a, that I can't, can't quite close that gap. But there is no gap. There is no distance. I don't want to be closer to him. He lives in my heart. I don't know how much closer he and I could ever get. I'm 1,000% serious. We can't get any closer. Now, I can, have, I can come to understand more, for sure, and need to. I can have a, a fuller revelation. The, the intimacy that I express to the Lord can grow, but he's as close now as he's ever going to be. He, he's in here. He's in you. And so here's why that's important, because you have to tell yourself the truth. Don't subtly lie to yourself that you have to ask him to come and do something. I don't read God's Word and say, man, you know, Lord, here's my prayer. I just pray that, um, I just pray that Jesus would, would someday go to the cross and die for my sins. He did it. It is finished. He, he did it. I don't have to ask Him to do something He's already done. Okay? So again, please hear that. That's not a judgment, not a criticism. If you pray that way, God, please be with us, I don't think He's going to say, nah, said the wrong words, I'm not going to forget it. No, he's got you covered. So you pray how you pray. I'm just saying think that's something to think about, okay? And here's why. Not only for you, but for other people. Like I told you, that little church I went to, the way they prayed, the way they interacted, that, that resonated with me. And when you think and pray and act like that, other people notice that. That resonates with people. Man, these people at Radiant, they act like Jesus is alive and sitting right here. He is. He is. And when guests come in, when you interact with people at work or just wherever, man, they notice that. You're crazy, but there's something about you that I am compelled. I'm like Moses. I've got to get off my butt and get closer and see why is this bush burning but it's not consumed i got to ask you, what is going on in your life, okay? So again, not simply semantics, not magic words to use, anything like that. you just got to pray biblically because it's powerful. Here's the final application. And Maddie, you want to come? Here's the final application, probably the most important one. said that God's uh, ancient 4,000-plus-year-old connection uh, or covenant with Abram uh, is applicable to our life today. And here's the way Paul explains it. We've heard this a couple times this morning. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to this, his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And so if you're in Christ, you're included. 
And so if you picture all these promises God made in Scripture, and we can start with Moses, and today we've got Abram, and we've got David, and we've got all these biblical characters to whom God made promises, He made covenants, and we've got Christ in that line of people. And then we go on from there. We've got you out there and your family and the people you've influenced for Christ. And if we shoot an arrow through starting with Moses, and it goes all the way through all these people. Everything that God promises Moses, promises Abraham, applies to you and me. Everything he promised Christ applies to you and me because we're in line. Another way to say that is we said earlier, you're in him. You're in Christ. Whatever applies to them, applies to them to you, and it applies to the people after you, your ancestors, the people who know Christ, the people who you share the gospel with, and they say yes to Jesus. We're in the uh, middle of our REACH campaign, and we're going to hear a little more about REACH in January. It applies to those people who you're reaching out to, who you're interacting with. And so uh, the covenant, though it's 4,000 plus years old, the one with, with uh, Abram applies to you and me. We get him. We get his essence inside of us.